Hello and welcome to the Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine, the statewide campus system, our Med Ed Transformation Podcast. We spend a lot of time talking about changes and things that we can do to make progress on our goals, um, but oftentimes we don't start making those changes. So this podcast is designed to give you some strategy for implementing and moving forward on your goals. And I am so excited. Today we have two guests with us. We have Dr. Stephanie West, a professor of pharmacology and toxicology at Michigan State. Um, in addition to her distinguished research career, she has demonstrated sustained commitment to the growth and development, not only of her students, but of, of her students, but students across MSU's campus and across the country in her field. And we also have Dr. Sarah Evans, an assistant professor in the College of Biological uh, Station and the uh, Department of Integrative Biology. Dr. Evans received the Michigan State University 2020 uh, Outstanding Junior Faculty Mentor Award. She was nominated by both faculty and students for her impressive commitment to mentoring uh, and her dedication to her students' development and well-being. Dr. Stephanie West is also um, a recipient of the 2020 Outstanding uh, Veteran Faculty Mentor Award. Thank you so much to both of you for being here with me today. What an um, absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So my first question, and, and Sarah, I'm going to ask you first, and then and then Stephanie, the same question for you. Tell me what this award means to you. Well, I'm very honored to get it, and especially because it comes from my students who had the idea of nominating me. Um, and on a personal level, it's just it, it's sometimes a thankless job putting effort into mentoring, and it takes a lot more deliberate effort and energy and time than I thought to be a good mentor, even though, you know, I know it's really important, but um, it's not often, you know, a priority in, in faculty evaluation. So it meant a lot to me just that they noticed that and that they took the time to, to nominate me. Um, and I'm really glad that the university has awards like this to highlight mentoring because all the research suggests, you know, in education that it has such a powerful impact on student development and retention, um, but it's not often highlighted as sort of part of our job that is a skill that you can improve and, um, and develop. And Stephanie. So Deb, when I got the email, I cried. I, because I had no idea that I had been thought in this way of my students and of my colleagues. Uh, this comes from the graduate school, which why I was an assistant dean for over a decade. And I know how much that group values mentoring. And Sarah said it really well. You don't know that you're making a difference because sometimes you can't see it or you won't see it immediately, but it will be something that comes back to you. So to know this tells me that I'm doing the right thing. As Sarah said, the effort and the time and the iterative processes you go through in mentoring can sometimes feel like you're not making a difference and you worry how you're spending your time. But with the wonderful things that Mature Age brings, I can see right, how, how good it is. So I was absolutely, completely delighted. I can just hear um, the, the pride that you have talking about your students. Um, you know, neither of you said anything like about yourself. It's just so much about giving back. And it, so that speaks to our values. So Stephanie, what are the foundational values of mentoring when you work with your students? So I have been at Michigan State for 25 years now, uh, which is stunning when, when one looks back in it. I think I have had wonderful mentors in my own life and what I got from them and what I continue to do is that before I am a scientist, 
and I am a scientist, I have to be a human. And I have to remember the worries that I had as I was a college student, as I was a PhD student. And that's to remember that people are scared. People don't know, they are unsure. Learners are necessarily really vulnerable, but to learn well, you have to make yourself vulnerable. And we as mentors have to respect that vulnerability. So if, if I had one phrase is just remember to be a human right? before you're that professional or before you're that scientist. I now, Deb, have a family, a cadre of people who are in my lab, people who are outside of my lab, those people who I consider my mentees, they're helping me, this 54-year-old woman, to figure out how to really use Twitter right now. If I didn't have that family, I couldn't do this. They are being my champions right now because I've treated them like human beings before scientists. And Sarah, um your foundational values may be slightly different being in a junior faculty role. Can you speak to your foundation um, and how it's changed since you started to where you are now to where you see it going? Yeah, it's really interesting to hear Stephanie's perspective because I I would say I have I haven't really been challenged in not remembering kind of what it's like. It's almost like I remember too much what it's like because I myself <laughs> am still that scared student because I'm always, you know, wondering like I how am I here and I don't feel qualified to give you advice on your work when I'm like barely, you know, out of grad school. And so I mean that's kind of how I felt <laughs> at first where I was like uh, wow, this person, you know, is asking me for these things that I don't know how to to like mentor or how to um, to help. But um, and so I think for me, it was more of a journey of getting kind of giving confidence in myself and sort of seeing it as more of I'm not their peer. It's not something I'm just giving advice. I'm kind of I'm able to step back and say, what does this person need given their strengths and weaknesses, given my perspective? Um, you know, so I think just having that a little bit of distance just helped me be more deliberate about mentoring that this isn't just like, you know, my reaction or something. And um, so I think just over time, I've, I've gained confidence and in, um, in myself as what my style of mentoring and kind of settled into what works for me. And also that's helped me kind of adapt to more styles in my students, because, you know, one thing that I always remember in mentoring is, you know, no one is just like you and no one is the same. So I really try to kind of get to know what um, the people I'm mentoring value themselves, what they respond to, what motivates them, how they best communicate. And those things help me a lot and just like, Kind of adapting my style to what works um, for them and for me so we try to find this common ground of like you know how best to to interact and i think that's also really important to me because it's it's important to not just you know pick people that are like you to to write like mentor and to to support in this career so that's been more of a recent um, thing i've worked on is sort of like well I, it might be easier for me to mentor people that I have an immediate connection to or that are really similar to me, but how can I, you know, go beyond that? Um, so yeah, it's definitely been a journey and sort of from being that person that's being mentored to being someone that's, that's sort of above and stepping back and looking down on, on the seed and saying like, you know, how can I make this person their best selves? So Deb, this is Stephanie. Can I comment? Of course okay, you can. Okay, so Sarah, first of all, it, it 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 gets better. I think what you and it gets it gets even <laughs> better, in the sense that I can say that now I trust myself. And when I was in those first couple of years, where and I was only a couple of years older than the graduate students I have, I did feel like an imposter. Right? How am I supposed to tell this person what they're supposed to do when I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing at this point? So age is a marvelous thing in the sense that it really does bring the wisdom. I used to doubt myself and I don't doubt myself anymore. I, I, I have a good real sense 
of what's going to be able to work. And that mm-hmm. has grown because I have been able to learn from my right, really diverse group of mentees that I have. They're all the way from high school students in science to associate professors that are here at MSU, to people who are in different countries, to people who speak different languages. And from every single individual, they help me be a better mentor because you learn every time you interact with someone that's different. And it's up to you as a mentor to fold that into what you do. So I I love the idea of how you talk about the fact that mentoring is, you hope it's tailored and that you really think about a person, right? Everybody's got to get same sorts of things, right? There are broad strokes to what we hope any mentee has, but then there are specific things you might need to do. So can I give an example, Deb? Oh, of course. Okay. So I had a graduate student who was doing biomedical science in my lab and he's very good at what he does, but bench science drove him crazy to the point he was in the hospital routinely. And about after his sixth time of being in the hospital, I said, sweetie, we, we can't, you can't do this. This is going to end up killing you right and i adore him my people in my lab are my kids right so i call them all different kinds of nicknames and they let me uh i said this is not good for you we have to find a different way what's happening and he told me stephanie i hate bench science i can't do it because i can't take the lack of predictability in what i do i said that's what science is so if you don't want to do that what do you want to do so i've always wanted to teach so I took my Nerf bat, right? I smacked him one and said, you, get, you should have told me this about two years beforehand. We stopped. He still had to do some bench science, but we re-engineered the rest of his years so that he had the experience that he needed to so he could be competitive for the job that he wanted. So I, I think the, the lesson from that is I don't want students to ever tell me what they think I want to hear, mm-hmm. but I need for them to be absolutely honest with themselves about what they want to do, the work they're willing to be able to do this, and know that it's my job to help them find how they want to love science, not how I think they should love science. That, that was a, a real moment for me because I watched him just almost physically completely fall apart, and I wish I could have saved of it. So I, I've become pushier, both says Sarah, I think because they're too important. It's too important that if I can help them not go through that kind of thing, I'd like to. I can't guarantee it, but I sure as heck am going to try harder. You, you both have spoken both sides of my coin as a faculty person. And I think- oh, really? What are those sides? I, 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 I think I am at a transition point because um, more than 10 years ago when I started as faculty um, and I was mentoring and, and feeling very much like, like Sarah's feeling of, um, you know, I was just in your shoes like last week. I was still, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so I, I often use the phrase, you know, I was in your shoes not that long ago. I know what you're going through. Here's some of the, the tricks. Um, and I, I caught myself saying I wasn't in your shoes that long ago. And then I was like, wait a minute. I, it, it was a long time ago, but I'm still trying to be very true to knowing where the student is and meeting the students where they're at. Um, and now I'm, I'm kind of transitioning to what Stephanie's saying, where I'm more confident um, in, my, in my direction and in, in my mentoring um, relationships. But something that Stephanie said um, really hung out, uh, stuck out to me was um, the way that she's coaching. It's, it's coaching with compassion and making sure that what you're telling them is to make, and Sarah said this too, to make them the best person that they can be. It's not about me. It has nothing to do with me. My relationship with those that we're, we're mentoring are, are all about them. Um, so this kind of goes in, into the, the next um, uh, question, kind of hanging on to what Sarah was saying about who are you mentoring? And oftentimes we try to go to 
people who are like us, that that's probably going to be an easier mentoring relationship. But let's talk about that mentor and mentee relationship. Um, how are how are you creating them? Um, how are you identifying them? Or how are your mentees identifying you? We'll start with start with Sarah. Yes, please. Sorry. You couldn't, couldn't hear the name. Um, well, in my, I'm in integrative biology and my, uh, the way sort of my department and graduate admissions work is um, usually students are contacting potential advisors before they even apply to grad school. So that's kind of a very big pre almost prerequisite, almost unsaid prerequisite for um, for getting into grad school is just forming that relationship with the advisor, making sure the advisor is interested in, in accepting graduate students that year. Um, and then, you know, I also have undergraduate mentors who mostly, since I'm at a, a biological field station, which is a, a little bit off campus, um, they come in the summer. So, so that is a different selection process, but um, more of like an applying um and so yeah it's it starts right away i guess even before you see their full application and you're getting kind of interviewing them and they're interviewing you in a way because they know that this relationship between a, a graduate student and an advisor is one of the most important that's going to shape their graduate uh experience um and career um so yeah, I guess that's kind of how how it how it starts. But at the beginning, I'm I'm pretty. I try to be more, um, you know. In addition to getting to know them, I think it. I sort of had some have some set things that I do surrounding like setting expectations and kind of getting to know communication style. I think one thing that I've learned that makes a lot of things easier down the road is just to set very clear expectations you know that you always have something to come back to um if it's deviated and it's been said up front no one is like i didn't think that you wanted that um because there's so many things that we just assume people just know and then it run into a problem when they didn't know that and it just makes it a lot easier to just return back to this and it's nothing personal it's just like hey this is you're not meeting expectations or this is what why you know why are we moving at this is it because you want or thinking of a different career and it just provides a a foundation to come back to 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 talk about you know where we're at and i found that really important for just early on in the mentor relationship. Um, and I've kind of learned how to make it not feel like overly formal or scolding. It's just, um, it, on the contrary, it kind of makes it just easier for you to have a, a good relationship. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the things that I do early on um, is discuss like goals and expectations and communication style. Yeah, I, I love that. The the setting expectations, you know, we, we know them in our heads and we're, or we think we know everybody's expectations, but it's almost talking about here's my part and here's your part um, and let's let's agree upon it. Yeah, actually, um, that's actually one thing I really have found useful in setting expectations is I have just like a little one page sheet that's like, here's your expectations. And I think it, students really respond well to also here's mine like here's what you can expect from me as an advisor and one kind of surprising out outcome of that is that i think a lot of times students don't realize you have a lot of other responsibilities like my for instance my one of my responsibilities that they benefit from is i get grants to fund the lab and sometimes they just don't see that and i think just seeing that I wear so many hats helps them see that I'm making decisions based on their best interest, but they might not, it might not always be immediately visible to them. Um, and that's just kind of a funny thing that has come out of that, that I really didn't expect. I thought it was just sort of like, you know, to be fair, I'm going to give you expectations of me and here's expectations of you. Um, so that's kind of helped in that way. Great. And Stephanie, what about you, the, the mentor-mentee relationship and, and setting those up? Um, you did say that uh, it's very much like they're your kids in your lab. So is it a, a parental child relationship or? Well, so let, let me back up. I want, I want to 
talk about one thing that Sarah does there, the AAMC, the American Association for Medical College has what's called a biomedical compact. And that's written from and updated regularly from both the trainee and from the mentor perspective. And if people are nervous at all about writing that, that's a great place to be able to start. You can download the PDF and simply take a look and say, do I agree with these things? When I started off, I sat with that document with a lot of my students just so they knew we'd had that kind of conversation. But I, so I'll answer your question here then, Deb. I now trainee, have as trainees a number of different groups of people. So I have had high school students in our lab, but more than that, I have undergraduates. Uh, I am the director of our pharmacology minor. So I have over 150 students that are in that. I have graduate students, I have staff that are in my laboratory, and I also mentor a number of assistant and associate professors. What they all have in common, I think, are two things. They learn from me early on that they, as an individual, matter to me, that I am personally invested in being able to help them, and that I recognize that learning does make you vulnerable. It's like you're going to school for a reason or you're moving up the tenure track ladder for a reason, there's stuff you don't know. I'm here to help you learn that. So please do not feel bad, guilty about not knowing that stuff. This is what you're supposed to be here to do. So allaying those kinds of fears very early on that, that they matter individually, that it's okay for them to show me their vulnerability and I'll show them it too, right? All of the story I told you in Twitter, I went on yesterday and said, I have no idea what the heck I'm doing help me out and they did right so i showed my vulnerability just like they need to so the first thing is telling them that they matter but also just showing them the sheer joy that i have in the science that i do i love the science that we do i love the projects i love thinking about it i love messing up because i learn when i do and demonstrating to them that it is okay to show that they don't have to show it to the goofy level that I do, but that it is absolutely all right to really love what you do and know that that's the kind of thing that's gonna sustain you through difficult times. So all those different levels of people I talk to from undergraduates who are trying to figure out, do they wanna to go to med school or do they wanna to go to art school, to an assistant professor desperately trying to make sure that they're ready for tenure, those worries that they have are different but that they trust me as a human being is a big part of me being able to be an effective mentor with them. And I'm together on this ride. So you, you'll hear me w use words all the time. It's, I, I, uh, how is it? I work with them. They work with me rather than working for me. And that's important because it means that we're on the same level together. I'm just older. So I've had more experience. I've messed up in different ways and I'm so happy to share that kind of information with them. So it really does come to those simple things, letting people know that they matter and that it is okay to show joy in what you do. Deb, did I answer your question? You, you did. And, and I, and I want to ask, ask a follow-up here. Um, you know, you talked about how you learned some of these skills over time or you learned what worked or, or what didn't work. Um, I often... Uh, I was told once, and then I've, I've shared this with my students, that, you know, in every relationship, good, bad, and different, there's something to learn. Yes. Um, you know, you can learn how to do something the best way by seeing somebody do it. You can also say to yourself, I never want to do it that way because you <laughs> don't like how somebody did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yes. So tell, and, and Sarah, I'll have you answer this question next. How did you learn to be a mentor? Um, who or what was your inspiration and your guiding light to, to be a mentor and, and, and ultimately win the Outstanding Mentor Award? So am, am I going or is Sarah going? Stephanie, you're gonna go first. Okay. Ooh, how did I learn to be a mentor? All right, so Deb, I'm a goofball and I really love people and I really love science. I, feel such privilege to get to do those two. And I'm not just saying that because it sounds good. I truly, genuinely feel these things. 
So from the perspective I want to give you, right, I think I can feel that because I have a very disabled older son. Uh, he turns 27 this coming Friday. He can't, he really has a hugely marginalized uh, mentality. He is physically limited. He has cerebral palsy. He's challenged in every way you can imagine, but he is still pretty darn happy in life. So I watch him and say, I have opportunities. I'm gonna make the most of them and I'm gonna help people find those opportunities as well. So he has been one of my teachers in, in really getting it right, but I've, had, uh, I've been blessed to have good mentors myself. And like you said, I've taken good things and there are some things I will never do that some of my mentors have done with me because it just doesn't fit who I am. So in college and as a postdoc, those are probably the two individuals that showed me that they valued me as a human being, that encouraged me as being a woman in science to not give up. They were both men. In addition to my father, who was a third man that really helped along the way, they have simply been there uh, all along the way and helped me grow as a mentor. So, so becoming a mentor, I think, has been a purposeful choice. I put time and energy in it. I don't have as many publications as other people do. I don't need to move forward in administration or other different places because I derive such deep satisfaction from watching my students move forward. They have all heard me say, I want you to outrun me and I'm gonna be sitting on the road as you run by with a martini and I will be toasting you all the way along. That, I really do feel that. So it, it enriches me, Deb. So maybe it's selfish, but I want to be a mentor because I get so much from it as well. Uh, it is going to be the thing that has sustained me throughout all of my career. So there you go. Well, that, that speaks to, I mean, as, as parents, you know, our parents want us to do better than they were as parents and me yes. as a parent, I want my kids to, to do better than, than me. So a mentoring relationship is, is very much like parenting. So um, to that, and, and, and Sarah, I want to give you a chance. How did you build your skills as a mentor or what or who was your inspiration? Um, a combination of a lot of people. Um, I, I would say I, I learned a lot from my my own mentors as a student, but I almost learned more from them once I became a mentor myself, just in reflecting um, back on those experiences. Um, but I think my students have taught me a lot about being a mentor at all stages. Um, and my colleagues, I think just uh, asking more senior and peer colleagues what they do in certain situations and seeing that sometimes it's deliberate and sometimes they're just, you know, trying their best and I'm not sure what to do either. So discussing, you know, how to be better um, in that way has been great. And honestly, in recent years, there's just a lot more research about effective mentoring and that I've learned about. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't advise learning how to mentor from, from a book, but um, th some of those really helped me just, I think also just build confidence that, you know, there is sort of some things that, that tend to help in every situation and that you can certainly implement whether you feel like you're a natural good mentor or not. Um, and so, so kind of getting to know some of those people that are, uh, interested in that and that research and kind of improving mentoring at, at a national level. Melissa McDaniels, Baronda Montgomery at, at MSU um, are very involved in, in just, you know, what it takes to be a good mentor. And so, and so that has really, I don't know, I guess just enriched my mentoring and made me a little bit more deliberate about it, about the skills. And I also wanted to respond. I love what Stephanie said about just learning, you know, teaching that learning makes you vulnerable and that kind of you showing by example to be vulnerable in a, in a lab. It just reminded me that um, I think a big responsibility of a mentor is sort of setting a culture. And I know a lot of, um, you know, work is done in groups now and either if it's your lab group or a project group or whatever. And I think um, 
one thing a leader can do that you maybe feel a little removed from, but you have have um, control over is setting just a really good positive culture where people are, are feel safe to make mistakes and learn and are open and relying on each other. Um, and then sort of once you establish that, it's sort of, uh, you know, takes some of your job away from you because you're you have this sort of perpetuating um, culture that that people are thriving in because they feel okay making mistakes and they're open and they're learning from each other and challenging each other, you know, setting high expectations for each other. Um, and I think that I just have seen in, in my lab how important that is for cultivating a, a good academic experience. So Sarah, I absolutely love that. Right? That is, you said it just so well right there. So in my lab, it's taken us 25 years to get to that point uh, where I, I'm so solid in them, where my students every year, though they won't do it this year, they put together scrapbooks for our laboratory where we've taken pictures throughout the whole year. And their Christmas gift to me are new pages for this scrapbook of different things that we've done. And I've put that on our website of our adventures, our March on Science and here and there, because they know how much I think about them. Right? And it shows we have we have managed to do by hook or by crook exactly what you said about and and I am proud of that because I it, it matters so much to me. You also said two things that I think anybody who wants to be a mentor needs to do, and that is that you set aside some mindfulness time about how you want to be a mentor. Right? It is not the reaction that you talked about. I love the fact that you've read and you cogitate and you deliberate and you let it sink and you let you mull over these kinds of things. I think being a mentor does take that and deciding where you have your strengths, where you don't, how you can make it better, but really thinking about how you want to be. Right? I've told my students flat out at different times, what am I doing wrong? Point out to me where I need to be better, right? So right now, being better about social media is something they all think I should do. So I'm trying. It's awkward, but I'm trying. <laughs> uh, th those kinds of things we, we do all the time, right? So I, I, I love the idea of just having, having a safe space for people to be who they are and grow. Okay, so you both have talked about learning in general is vulnerable. Um, admitting or, or, or asking for help is difficult, but successful people ask for help when they need it. Um, and so I, I tell my students that all the time, to be successful is to ask for help when you don't know something. And we talked about making things safe. And now I wanna throw in, you know, kind of the elephant of 2020, uh, we've now switched to this virtual space. We don't have that one-on-one -on -one connectivity that we had in the lab or in the classroom. What have you done in the last nine months um, of the pandemic to foster those relationships? Stephanie, I'll start with you because you're unmuted. Uh, oh, okay. So what have I done? Oh goodness. So March of 2020 was scary, but none of us have lived through this before. And what was scary for me is my whole lab was looking at me saying, well, what are we going to do? And my immediate response is, well, I'm thinking about it. Uh, and ultimately we did. So we have a lab meeting every week where every person can come to this. And right now I have people that starting in June this year are, uh, can come to work physically in the building, but we still have these lab meetings every week. So I have people who are in Turkey, who are in Kosovo who are all across the world call in and we see one another, we talk with one another. We also instituted when we really were stuck, we had a lab game night where we all got together and did a game called Scriblio, where it was absurd because I can't draw and I really made myself vulnerable on this. We simply had fun together and tried to stay connected. Yet now I leave things for them on their desk. If we're not in at the same hours, they get them. We talk all the time. We have a group Twitter. Uh, we have a group uh, a group chat with one another, where I can get 
right, right to them individually and then as a group. So for me, gosh, communication, letting them know that I'm scared, that they're scared, that we will find a way, and that science is going to be the thing that gets us through this. It's, it's every day, Deb, every single day. I reach out to people, let them know that I'm here. They reach out to me, let them know that they're there. So I, it has it had this bump? Yep. Right. But man, when we found out as a lab that we could open back up, even if in a small way, every single person was hands on deck. They knew the rules. We talk about the rules. Uh, when they change, we talk about how that's going to go. And my bottom line for them has been, I need you to be safe. You have to be really honest with me about what's going on in your world. If you are unsure, you stay at home, right? If you think you need a test, you tell us, right? And then we will stay at home until we know. So there's a lexicon that was not in our vocabulary a year ago for what we talk about every day, but we do. So for us, absolute open communication, for me, really, any time of day has, has been what we've needed to do to make us feel connected and still a group of people that work together. And Sarah, what about you? Yeah, it's been a, it's been challenging. Um, you know, you don't realize how some of those informal interactions help and kind of fill in some of the details, um, just that seeing each other in the hall or at social events. Um, so I've really missed that. Um, we, I would say I've, I've done similarly. I've just tried to kind of to make up for some of the closed communication um, venues and opened some more opportunities. We, we have a Slack channel, sort of like a group chat. Um, some people use it more than others, but it's just sort of a way to, to kind of informally chat about troubleshooting for data analysis or lab lab work troubleshooting and so people don't feel like it's as formal as email it's kind of likened it to kind of a drop drop in you know drop by someone's office um we're mostly all working from home still only going into the office when someone is do actively doing lab bench work or, or field work um so generally most people have you know i like 10 or so people in my lab are at home um, but yeah, we have, you know, more, more avenues for communication. And personally, I just try to check in with people more. Um, and, you know, whereas usually I might rely on them to contact me when they're, you know, needing something or needing a meeting. Um, I, if I haven't talked to someone in a while, I, I do more of like, how's it going? Are you doing okay? And at the beginning, you know, I really stress talking to me and that my door is always open and my phone is always there. And, um, <laughs> And so we do, we also do a little bit longer weekly lab meeting so that we have more time to just do sort of updates. Like, what did you do this week and what, what's going on and what, um, you know, what might benefit from sort of a group think type thing. Um, and so I really enjoyed that just because it's now my only time to, to check in with every single person. Um, and, and so we do that on Zoom and we've just lengthened that. So um, I guess the last thing is when it was warmer, I, I really learned to value kind of in-person meetings where we would sit outside somewhere far apart and talk. And um, at first I didn't really think much of it. It's sort of like, well, it's just convenient on Zoom. But I think it's several people in my lab just said this is so nice and it just allows you to really check in and look at someone and say like how are you doing um and i think people valued that to the extent that it was possible you know and so i, I tried i learned to make that extra effort to to tr every once in a while just see someone um in person it makes a difference yeah and so I want, to, I want to transition a little bit because I think both of you have had other opportunities arrive um, because of um, your ability to create these uh, mentoring type relationships. And so Sarah, with you, um, for the Kellogg Biologic, Biological Station, you helped um, find the, the Culture and Inclusion Committee um, and this was really before the recent diversity, um, equity, and inclusion initiatives on campus. 
Can you share some of the work of that committee and how your role um, as, a, as a mentor has fed into, into this? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that was definitely not just my initiative, but I was involved in uh, a member of the first um, committee, but it was sort of a, um, a station-wide effort initiated by largely by the graduate students, but also some others. Um, and I know I've seen a lot of other departments kind of follow suit on just saying, you know, let's have a way to to check our practices on equity and inclusion and, and culture and climate. Um, and, you know, I would say, I guess, you know, how it relates to mentoring, it's just there are some overlap in terms of how to be a good mentor and communicate effectively and, you know, make sure you're, you're adapting to lots of learning styles. And so there's, I guess there's some crossover there, um, but there are also some things that aren't, aren't necessary. You know, there's, there's aspects of culture and inclusion and equity and diversity that aren't necessarily related to mentoring. So I guess it's just, um, I think like it has, gave me more confidence to talk about the importance of being a good mentor and the sort of important tenets and practices just with my colleagues and just sort of amplifying it as, you know, this could be a partial effort to meet some of our goals in diversity, equity, inclusion. So I think it's, I almost see it as a really important subset of some of those goals. Um, and so I've kind of been involved in the committee with, with, faculty mentoring, but also, you know, in other aspects, just in terms of um, improving climate. So yeah, I think it, it's an exciting time in that way that some of these topics are, are, you know, so in the forefront and so talked about, because I really think that we have a lot of control and power over changing them and um, could really improve education. So I, I'm happy to be a part of that. Wonderful. I mean, that sounds like great work. And I, I love seeing that more initiatives across uh, the campus are coming out uh, regarding uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and Stephanie, some of your work, um, you spearheaded the trainee advocacy committee for the American Heart Association Council for High Blood Pressure. How has your role as a mentor impacted um, that initiative? Oh, so that was, oh, first of all, Sarah Brava, I think it's wonderful about what you're doing, and I look forward to learning from you. Uh, I, oh, goodness. So the Council on Hypertension is the meeting that we bring our best science to. It is my scientific home. And I remember how scared I was as a trainee. So you're walking among all these people who published these papers that you read and you hold them in such high regard, thinking, oh, this is, this is just really so scary. I, I would love to be able to find other people and know, know what they're thinking as well as learn from these individuals. So I've attended this meeting now for oh, close to 30 years and I ran what was called Hypertension Summer School uh, before this committee started. And that was bringing together both basic researchers and clinicians that study in the field of hypertension or high blood pressure. And it's from that, I realized that there were a lot of really wonderful trainees that were in our council. And with Bob Carey at Virginia, who was chair at the time, we agreed to start this committee. And this committee was led by me, but it was filled with trainees, both who were clinical, so they had MDs, and those who were basic. So they had PhDs, or they were training to have PhDs. And what that did is get those trainings together to be able to put together their own sessions, have meetings to have a little bit of money within the council to do what they want. And it has taken off from there where now they have a, well, they did a poster competition. Uh, they have their own scientific sessions. They can invite their own speaker. And one of the most famous things we've done is the Thursday night of this meeting, so the second night of this meeting, we have a karaoke night. That karaoke night 
has grown in size to the point where now not only the trainees go to it, but all the faculty do because it's such a good time. We fund it. The faculty that are in this help give money to be able to raise this night for this group of people so that they can just have fun together. It's absurd to listen to your colleagues sing. Some of them are awesome. Some of them really probably shouldn't ever do it again. Right, but And you dance together and you recognize that you're simply people together. Those kinds of things has made the council as a whole stronger than it used to be. Those are the future generations of scientists that are going to lead this council. And that is something I wanted to be able to invest in. Showing them that they matter. I know they're scared, but I'm gonna connect them to these other group of people who look so old and like they know so much. The fact is they're just other people. So that has been a huge labor of love for me to the point that uh, they have called me their fairy godmother. And three years ago, they created the Stephanie Watts uh, Career Award that is in this council in recognition of that work. And talk about getting an email that made me cry. <laughs> that was totally out of the blue, but it told me that what I had done or what I was doing really was making a difference. I, I will forever be proud of that. And man, if I can leave a legacy, that's the one I wanna leave. Stephanie, kudos, congratulations. I mean, I, I have I have no words for the impact, <laughs> oh, yeah. the impact that, that you have had on the future of science. Um, it's it, it really, yeah, it really does. It, it really is, you know, investing in our future um, by, you know, supporting and promoting and mentoring um, bo both you and Sarah, what, what, the relationships that you have with your students. And so I, I, I want you to give your top three tips, tricks, uh, advice to those who want to start building their mentoring relationship. We all have them. We all have some type of mentoring relationship, but to become a better mentor, what, what advice do you have? Also, Stephanie, I just love the image of people doing karaoke. I mean, what better? It's so much fun. It's so human. <laughs> you can't really be very, you know, you have to be humble when you're doing karaoke. <laughs> Isn't that true? Okay, so I'll give you my, I'll give you my top three, and I, I'm, I'm making this up as we go. Um, but there's the three things that I think I've come back to is first of all, be a human, always. Second be patient and listen. And third, do that mindfulness about how you want to be a mentor. Uh, really give it some work. It, it deserves it. I think it will help you not worry about being a mentor. So those are my three. Be a human, listen and be patient, right? And really think about it. Yeah, I would say it's similar, but I'll say my top three, um... I think communication is just so key, finding a way to do that. Um, that's your style, that's their style, um, that's, that's getting the message across. It's just gonna make it kind of everything else flow better. Um, I agree, the second would be getting to know people. You know, everyone's human. It, it might require some curiosity, some, you know, just some, Every, everyone just wants kind of that personal connection and developing that trust is also going to make things just so much easier and such a stronger relationship. Um, yeah, I guess the last would just be from a skill standpoint is just being clear about expectations. Um, I think that just goes a long way in, in terms of, of keeping standards high and keeping communication clear. Um, but yeah, I think in the end, um, people do want to know that, that you're on their side and, um, kind of fostering a good culture and relationship is, it's really important to have that foundation. So Deb, can I add a comment to that? Of course. All right. So it comes down to really helping people know that they belong. Right. And, and what a year we've had in terms of making sure people know that they belong, not 
having that imposter syndrome, but just again that that they matter and that they have a right to be here. They may not know as much as a lot of people, but they have every right to be here. So helping them feel that, helping them see that, helping that they contribute to the place where they belong, that is incredibly empowering for people. So just, I think it's that simple, helping them know they belong. Yeah, and I'll just add, I didn't mention this the, um, when we were talking about diversity and inclusion, but the most striking connection between diversity, inclusion, increasing representation and mentoring is that a person's mentor relationship is the single biggest predictor of their retention in STEM fields. And, and um, so I think there's just such power in making those relationships um, strong and, and trusting and beneficial and, and imparting that sense of belonging that mentors have so much power to um to increase representation to to extend that sense of belonging to all groups so and i I would add to that one of the things i've learned over the years is that your words have weight when you are a mentor and you are somebody who's looking up to you whether or not they should what you say can really have a huge impact on people. And that's why I want people to spend that mindfulness time of thinking about how they want to be a mentor. And the fact is what you say, how you say it, when you say it, all those different things can have a profound impact on people. And there have been times where I've had mentors or people say particularly hurtful things. So when I was in college, I used to get my lab reports back. You're a woman, you don't belong here. And I would take those lab reports to my college mentor, Dr. Steve Zumdahl, and he says, Stephanie, listen to me. <laughs> don't pay attention to what was written here. Do you love science? Yes, I love science. Do you wanna be a scientist? Yes, I want to be a scientist more than anything. Well, then let's work at it. And his saying that, how he said it to me, he held me out a box of Kleenex, right? I sat on the chair across from him and he was just there. His words, the strength of his words helped erase the other ones. Does that make sense? It, it does wholeheartedly. Um, you know, we, I think we all have had um, impactful conversations with mentors that that have been able to help us rise above comments like that. Yes. Um, and, and, and you ladies um, are, you know, poster children for, poster mentors for, uh, for everybody um, going forward and, and being able to build those relationships. And, and I think that um, taking the words that you've said of, you know, we're all human, um, making it safe, having the discussions and making it about our learners. Um, you know, just speak wonders to how to become an outstanding faculty member and how to transform our mentoring relationships. And Stephanie and Sarah, again, thank you so much for being uh, here with me today. Um, and I look forward to future conversations um, that we can have about this topic or additional topics. Deb, thank you so much. And Sarah, I'm so glad to get to know you. Yeah, same. Thanks so much for doing this, Deb. <laughs>